we love uh, those moments here at Mission Ebenezer Family Church because this is a family church, and uh, we recognize that God is at work in every generation, amen, and in the generations to come. Thank you for joining us in that very, very special moment. Um, So we're going to get ready to uh, transition uh, to the Word of God this morning. We are studying the the book of Romans. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Paul's epistle to the church at Rome. And we will be studying uh, uh, the the latter section of chapter 2 and into chapter 3 this morning. We've been in our our series in Romans. Uh, But before we go to the... uh, the end of chapter two, I want to really quickly do a summary and highlight one of the verses in chapter one that in a lot of ways is guiding the argument that Paul is making as he writes this letter to the church in Rome. Um, so that verse is, is a significant verse that I think is good to memorize. Um, and it's in chapter one, verse 16. And that verse simply says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Can everybody say that with me this morning? Say, I am not ashamed of the gospel. He says, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. So Paul is starting this argument essentially by saying, I need to preach the gospel, and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because of the fact that it is the power of God that leads to salvation for everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone. Trying to get my password open here. I wish I didn't make it so long, but there we go. It's the power of God for everyone. And, uh, And the reason why this is significant is because he's writing to a church in Rome that is a multi ethnic church. This is a church that is made up of ethnic Jews, and it's a church that's made up of ethnic Gentiles. If you don't know what a Jew or a Gentile is, Jews essentially are those who come from the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King David, and and essentially come from that uh, genetic line of being identified as an ethnic Jew. And then for those who are called Gentiles, essentially is everybody else. So if you've taken a 23andMe uh, DNA test and it didn't come back to say that you were Jewish, then guess what? You are a Gentile. I am a Gentile. So Paul is writing to this church and he's, he's saying, uh, I'm writing to this group of folks who come with these different backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, and I want you to know that the, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ that is the power of God unto salvation for anyone who believes. Doesn't matter if you identified as a Jew or identified as a Gentile, it's the power of God for anyone who believes. So that's the premise. That's where Paul is coming from. He's starting with this this notion that he's saying, I need to preach this good news because everybody needs to hear it. And then he goes on to explain a little bit more at the tail end of chapter 1 and into the beginning of chapter 2. Let me tell you why you need to hear the good news. Right. Uh, Because sometimes when uh, when when folks aren't really that aware of something that's going on in their life, that's a need, then they're not too sure how to experience the good news that comes and says, hey, I can help you meet that need. Right. You ever noticed in the summertime and we had like the longest summertime this year. It was like 80 and 90 and and more days with 100 in them than I can count in a long time. I don't know if that's global warming or whatever it is, but uh, but it was hot. Somebody say amen. 
I'm kind of glad for the little bit of rain that we got and the clouds that are coming in and the cool weather. I'm like, yeah, thank you, Lord. Finally, I'm not sweating all day, right? But notice how uh, um, it's a really good time in like August when it's like 100 degrees consistently for somebody to walk around the neighborhood with a clipboard saying, hey, you know what? I can give you air conditioning, right? And all of a sudden it's like, you know, hey, air conditioning sounds kind of good. How much is it, right? Can I afford it? Well, if you make monthly payments for X number of months, then you could probably afford it. And all of a sudden, it's the right time to start thinking about installing air conditioning when your house is like 95 degrees on the inside, right? It feels like an oven, and all of a sudden, you're like, you know what? I think I need air conditioning, right? You don't come and start trying to sell air conditioning when it's 65 degrees outside. Everybody's going to be like, no, I'm good. I don't need to spend money on air conditioning. I'm, we're cool, literally, Right? But when it's 95 degrees on the inside of your house, all of a sudden it's like, that air conditioning sounds kind of good. What do you think, babe? Can we afford it, right? Just a quick note to couples, right? Don't start talking about stuff in front of the salesperson, all right? Me and my wife, we've been married for 15 years, and we're still working that out. But I have to be like, don't, don't make any facial expressions. Don't start, don't start saying, what do you think, to me in front of them. Like, if, keep a stoic face, and we'll talk about it in the, give us a second. We got to go talk about it. We'll be right out, right? So we can come out because, you know, yeah, we got we to, you know, don't start, don't start putting me on the spot in front of the salesman, right? Because then I'm just going to start getting mean. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you know what I'm talking about, right? So I share that analogy simply to say, Paul, he starts by saying, hey, I got good news. There's salvation for you. And everybody that's there in Rome is like, salvation from what? What do I need to be saved for? What do I need to be saved from? And so he goes on in chapter one and he says, well, first of all, he says, nobody has an excuse because all of us recognize that God has a plan and, and a desire for our lives. And every single one, whether you grew up in church or not, whether you were Jew or a Gentile, has disobeyed God with all kinds of sin, right? With all kinds of things that we know is not right, right? We got this conscience that God placed in us and we don't need a, a, a law or a code or, or a certain number of sermons to recognize when we're wrong. God already put something in us that teaches us to have an awareness of when we did or said something we shouldn't have done or said. And so chapter one is saying you, nobody has an excuse, Right? Because nobody can say, well, you know, I didn't really know the Torah or the Ten Commandments, and I didn't really grow up in a synagogue or the temple. And, and Paul is saying, you didn't have to grow up in the synagogue or the temple to know that there's a God, and he created you for a purpose, and every single one of us has told God, I think I could do it on my own, in my own way. And then he goes on to chapter 2, Pastor Josh covered this last week, and, and he goes on and says, and then for those of you who were like, you know, when I was talking about all those Gentiles who were sinning and all kinds of wickedness and evil and disobeying God left and right, and, 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 and you were over there in the amen corner, all, all the Jews listening to this indictment on the Gentiles in the amen corner saying, yeah, 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 all them. All them godless Gentiles over there, right? Doing all this evil and stuff. And, and then Paul turns toward the amen corner, right? And he says, and you too, you're judging them, so you're just as bad. And they're like, wait, 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 hold on, Paul. I thought we were on the same team, right? And Paul's saying, no, 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 whether, whether you um, were, were not really aware of the laws, and, but you were still disobeying God, or you were very aware of the laws, and as a result, think you're better than people and start judging everybody, all of you are missing the mark. 
And, and, and God uh, wants to send salvation to both groups, whether you are thinking that you're better than others and need forgiveness from that, or whether you uh, know that you're not better than anybody and you know that you have lived a life that is distant from God and you need salvation from that. Paul is saying there is salvation for all of those kinds of folks. And so he, he, he continues to open that up and, and he continues to teach on that. And so I want to take us to verse 25 of chapter 2 to pick up where we left off and continue to understand this teaching that Paul is giving to this church to make sure that they all know what the good news is about. So he says in verse 25 of chapter 2 in Romans, he says, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a law breaker. A person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person who is a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So this is the, the, the last part of chapter 2. Some of you are like, man, we are getting into some really graphic medical terms right now. And what does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with faith? What does this have to do with salvation? Well, this has a lot to do with faith and salvation because as we might not necessarily understand the relationship between physical circumcision and faith in these days, that was a, 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 a differentiator between those who were called the people of God and those who weren't. In other words, in those days, Jews were circumcised and Gentiles typically were not. Nowadays, it's not that way. You go to the hospital, you can make a choice. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. You talk to the doctors and make a decision. In those days, it was very clear. That was a differentiator. Why? Because Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, when he was called to go and leave his father's house and, and go to the land that God was going to show him and make him a nation, a great nation, one of the things that he did in that moment was he was circumcised and then he followed God. So that that act or that moment was connected to the fact that he was called out to be a separate people. So circumcision from that point on was always connected with what it meant to be Jewish, what it meant to be part of the people of God. It was a physical marking or a physical separator, differentiator that you belong to God, so to speak, right? And, and so that, that's the way that it was carried out. And so Paul brings it up in this argument as he's writing to the church in Rome because he says to them, you all in the church somehow believe that because of this physical differentiator, those who are circumcised have a better um, relationship and standing with God than those who are not. And what Paul is saying is it doesn't matter what you do to your body if your heart isn't changed. Right? Paul, Paul is, is talking to this group and saying that is not a differentiator as to whether or not you are right with God. Whether or not you are right with God has to do with how you live and how your, your heart is aligned with God, not what you do with your body. 
So before we get too hung up on this uh, very contextualized first century argument within a multicultural church trying to look at the difference between Jew and Gentile and which of them have access to salvation, I want to challenge us to say, what are the external, outward, physical representations that we rely upon to get our own righteousness? Right? Rather than looking at this specific medical procedure and saying, yeah, man, these guys should have figured this out by now. That's not going to make you right with God if you do that one medical procedure. No, no, no. Let's get out of that and, and apply it to our own lives. What are those things that we tend to look to and say, you know what, as long as I have that, then I'm good. Right? As long as I got a cross tattoo somewhere on my body, I'm fine. I'm covered. I can live however I want, do whatever I want, say whatever I want. But, man, I got that ink done and it hurt and God knows and so we're, we're good right? And we hide behind a tattoo, right? Or, man, as long as I show up to church every Sunday, right? I don't got to change how I live Monday through Saturday. As long as I show up to church on Sunday, that is the outward representation of being right with God, right? Right? Or, or, or man, as long as I, you know, was born and raised in the right home and I had the right teachings and my parents believed this and my grandparents believed this, then, then somehow, some way, I'm going to be covered by that same grace. But those are all outward things that we rely upon for righteousness. Right? Anybody track it with me? Right? The, 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 these are all things that we rely upon that, that we somehow think are going to uh, uh, lead us to salvation with God. Let me go a little deeper, right? Some of us would say, man, you know that one time on that one day when there was that one sermon and I had that one emotion and I responded and I was crying a lot and I raised my hand and I repeated the words after the pastor and because I did that, then I am good from this point on. So then I could do whatever I want, wherever I want, however I want because I'm covered. I got insurance, spiritual insurance, right? Against hell and a guarantee to heaven and I did it because I went forward that one day, and we're good. Well, guess what? That decision is connected to a lifestyle. Right? So let me give you an example on, on connecting that to a real-life example. If I stood up here 15 years ago, and I stood next to my wife, and we, I was wearing a nice tux, right? And, uh, and she was wearing a beautiful dress, and we said words in front of somebody, and we put rings on our fingers, and then from that, from that day on, I never talked to her, I never spent time with her, I never hugged her, I never kissed her, right? And, and we lived in separate places. W would you consider me married? Even though the, the L.A. County would have documentation that shows that I am, is the documentation what counts or how I live my life that counts? So spiritually then, I can't even rely upon that one prayer I said at that one time, at that one moment, after that one sermon, when I felt that one thing. But we rely upon them. What else do we rely upon? Baptism, right? Oh, I was baptized, man. At Cabrillo Beach, too, so God got extra grace on me because I knew there was bacteria that day, and it even, the Daily Breeze said, don't go out there, um, the, the, there was tanker ships out there trying to get into the ports that had to wait also. There was oil in the, in the man, I, I sacrificed a lot to be right with God. So I should be good from this point on. I got seaweed all over me, right? I got stuff that I don't even share with a little seaweed. It was like had a McDonald's cup on there as well, right? Like, but I did it. And uh, so I'm right with God from this point on. Well, guess what? It is, water baptism is a symbol 
of a decision to say, I want to die to my old life. And when I come out of the water, I'm raising up in new life to Christ. And that new life is now what I get a chance to live. The water isn't magic. Some of you are like, oh, come on, Pastor Koba, you're messing with my faith. The water wasn't magic. The water was water. In fact, it was probably harmful. <laughs> but it was what was taking place in our heart at that moment that really matters. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, which probably wasn't that much cleaner than Cabrillo Beach. But he did it. Why? Because it's, it's what's happening in the heart that matters. But we like to rely upon outward things to guarantee our righteousness and our salvation with God. And Paul is saying, whether you're circumcised or not, whether you have this ethnicity or not, whether you come from this home or not, whether you grew up in the church or not, whether you know the Bible or not, it doesn't matter all these different things as long as your heart is right with God. And if your heart isn't right with God, then don't rely upon anything outward to give you righteousness. Right? So, so Paul is, is essentially starting to say we cannot rely upon outward signs or physical expressions to guarantee a right relationship with Jesus. Right? And then he goes on to another section where he says, so then, uh, this is verse 26, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, now track that, this is, he's kind of doing a little bit of interesting thought connection here where he says, if those who are not circumcised, in other words, they didn't really grow up in a Christian home or a Jewish home, and they didn't really know all the teachings of the synagogue, but they are keeping the law's requirements. In other words, they, ha they did have sensitivity in their heart to what is right and what is wrong, and they responded to that by changing their behaviors and their attitudes and their words to align with how God was steering them and guiding them, Paul is saying, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? In other words, Paul was saying here, there are some who aren't physically circumcised, but in reality, they're living their life in a way that's right with God. And there are others who have done all the outward stuff that aren't. Verse 28, it says, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So, the, so Paul is, is trying to level the playing field between the Jews and the Gentiles to make sure that everybody knows that everybody needs salvation. And nobody's better than anybody. And I think that's a good place to start for the church today, right? Because sometimes, you know, you might come in here this morning, you might think to yourself, I'm not good enough, God doesn't love me, I don't even know who God is, I don't even know if I believe in God, and uh, all my life and everything that I've done, I've hurt people, I've done my own thing, I've been selfish and greedy, and, and uh, man, I am not deserving of God's grace. Well, let me tell you something, if you think that's you this morning, then Jesus died on the cross specifically for you. And some of you might be thinking, you know what, I live a pretty good life, man. I haven't done anything bad. I don't talk bad behind people's back. I do right by people, right? I, I, uh, I try to make the right decisions and do the right thing as often as possible. And, you know, I'm a pretty good person, man. And if you came in thinking that there's nothing in you that needs to be challenged, that needs to be redeemed, that needs to be forgiven, then that's something called pride, at which point you are uh, just as guilty as those who came in thinking they weren't deserving of grace. And 
if you struggle with pride, Jesus died on the cross for you too. Isn't that cool? So, so, so the, 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 the truth that we see from this passage is we all need God. And the other truth is that God wants to save every single one of us. Right? Um, and, and so this is, this is beautiful. So I thought of an analogy, especially in light of uh, Pastor Boomy's uh, hurtful comment earlier. Um, if I showed up last night in San Diego at Petco Park, and I had somebody... Um, Somebody over here from the hood that owns like a, uh, a fabric shop, make me a Dodgers jersey that was exactly like the ones they were wearing last night. And I, had, I even put Canalis on the back of it. And I showed up there at Petco Stadium like, I'm going to help the Dodgers win tonight, man. I'm going to go tell Trace Thompson, take a seat, I'm playing center tonight, Right? I would have caught that second ball, even though he made an awesome catch that first time. It could have been a double. He saved it. But, I, you know, if I showed up in a full Dodgers uniform, I mean, even with the authentic logo placed inauthentically and a Dodgers hat, and I showed up, I might look like a Dodger. But Dave Roberts is going to look at me and say, I don't know who you are. The other players are going to look at me, right? Freddie Freeman is going to look at me and say, who the heck are you? And where did you come from and how did you get that jersey, right? Just because I looked the part, right? Just because I'm wearing the right jersey or the right hat or whatever doesn't mean that I'm part of the team, right? And I think what Paul is essentially saying to this group is there's all kinds of things that we think we can do to look the part in faith. Oh, I just got to carry my Bible around. That's the, that's the trick. And then everybody's going to think I'm good. Like, man, he's in the word. Like, he is, he's got his life together. He's treating his wife right. His kids love him, right? And all, but I could be living like the devil, but as long as I carry that nice, the bigger Bible, the better, right? Especially, and if it's got my name on it, oh, like inscribed, you know what I'm saying? From uh, Carpenters or Family or whatever the bookstore is called now. Right. And I just I, if I just walk the right way and if I wear the right thing on a Sunday. Right. If I wear the right thing, they're going to be like, oh, you got your Sunday best on. You got a big fat Bible with your name all up on it in gold. Like that dude is right with God. When in reality, I could be living all kinds of ways. Because it doesn't matter what I'm wearing. If my heart isn't right with God. Right? It doesn't even matter where I am if my heart is on right with God. Okay? So, so Paul is saying uh, there is nothing that precludes you from the grace of God, and there's nothing that guarantees you the grace of God. Amen? So let's continue to, um, to chapter 3. Chapter 3, um, verse 1, it says, So what advantage then? So now Paul is kind of talking specifically to the Jewish audience in Rome. Uh, because they're probably listening to him talk and they're thinking to themselves, man, I thought we were the holy people, chosen priesthood, holy nation. I thought there was something special about us. I mean, we're, we have our ancestors to be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the stories of God, and, and David, and, and, and all of these different uh, lineages that we have uh, access to by virtue of our, our DNA and our genetics and our ethnicity. We could call upon all those different things, and, and they're thinking to themselves, uh, 
so, so what advantage then is there in being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? So Paul responds, well, much in every way. First of all, he says, the Jews have been entrusted with the very words of God. So again, I don't want us to get too distracted by the Jew-Gentile division, because I do want to apply this to, what does this mean for Mission Ebenezer Family Church today? Right? How do we apply what Paul is saying to the church in Rome to how we're living uh, today? So, so some of the, he's kind of offering this question, uh, uh, this rhetorical question, uh, basically saying, is there any benefit then in being a Jew? What's the difference? Is there one? Right? Um, or are, you, are we just all the same? And Paul's saying, no, 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 there is a benefit. And the benefit is you have had access to the word of God for a really long time. Right? It, it's kind of like uh, when we think about some of, the, some of our families that we grew up in. Um, if you grew up in a family and your dad or your mom, they, they, they had a particular profession that you later stepped into, then guess what? You had an advantage. Why? Because you had an opportunity to see how it was done. You could ask questions. Maybe you even kind of got an informal apprenticeship just by growing up in that garage and you learned how to do certain things because you had access to it. So what Paul is saying is, yes, there is an advantage. The advantage is you've had access to the words of God for a really long time. But even though you have access doesn't always mean we follow them, right? Even though we, we've had the ability to, to grow up in that kind of setting doesn't necessarily mean we're going to follow uh, those instructions. So Paul says, yes, there is a benefit, um, but it's not by virtue of identity. It's by virtue of exposure to the things of God. So let's liken that to today. That would be like for those of us who grew up in a Christian home today, right? Um, does growing up in a Christian home mean that you're going to be saved and one day you're going to heaven? Probably not. But what it does mean is that you probably were exposed to the word of God. Maybe you saw somebody or learned how to pray. Maybe you were introduced to how to worship God and give God praise and glory throughout the course of your days and, and on Sundays having a, a particular commitment and practice to regularly coming and being in fellowship. So, so even though there is ne not necessarily a guarantee of salvation, there is a benefit because hopefully you are exposed to things that later on you could reach out and grab, right? I know for me, I, I love preaching the word of God, and, and I have to recognize the fact that I was privileged with growing up in a pastor's home where ever since I was a little boy, I could see my dad reading the Bible at the dinner table, right? And every once in a while, even at like 9 years old, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, my dad would come over and say, hey, I'm reading this, this part of scripture, and, and I'm thinking about preaching, and, I, and this thought came to my mind. What do you think? And here I am having a conversation with my dad about scripture and about what it means and about how we can communicate the word of God. And I love that because that's like training ground, right? I didn't know I was going to be a pastor one day, but praise God that that's how it turned out. And so, yes, there is benefit, but just because I'm a pastor's kid doesn't guarantee that I'm going to live right. Doesn't guarantee that I'm going to serve the Lord. Doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be right with God. But it was a benefit. Similarly, Paul is saying to the Jews, it doesn't guarantee anything, but it is a blessing to have this religious lineage and the word of God deeply implanted in your own heart. Now, what are you going to do with it? Amen? What are we going to do with it, right? Sometimes growing up in those kinds of homes creates numbness. Sometimes it creates apathy and me thinking, well, you know, 
It is what it is, right? We get so cold. We get used to hearing thing after thing. We heard somebody share a testimony about how their life was radically changed, how they used to be addicted to drugs, and, and they tried all kinds of different things to get off of them. And all of a sudden, in one moment, somebody prayed over them, and God delivered them from their addiction and temptation. And now they live a life that's sober. They live a life that's, that's fruitful. They live a life that's good and powerful. But if you hear story after story that sounds like that, how quickly then will you come to realize and forget the power? that comes from seeing God at work in people's lives because we've grown so used to it. We take it for granted and, and the power loses its power because for whatever reason, we weren't there. I love to hear somebody who didn't grow up in the church, who didn't grow up in a Christian home, talk about how God gets hold of their life because it does something in me because I need to hear how God has transformed their life so that I don't forget how powerful my God is. So I don't, I don't forget what it's like to experience grace and love and transformation and healing and redemption and a new identity and a new future. I need to be reminded regularly, right, so that I don't get to the point where I just take it for granted. Like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. Somebody say amen. amen. It's a huge deal. So Paul is saying, hey, there is benefit as long as we do something with that benefit. Right? And as long as we don't get to the point where we feel like we are special by virtue of our identity. Uh, verse 3, what if some were unfaithful? Will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. Um, it says, as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue, if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, then why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say, as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result. Their condemnation is just. So where's Paul going with at this section of the letter to Rome? What he's saying here is some are starting to think to themselves, well, the last time I did really bad stuff, it led me to a point where I was broke down and I hit rock bottom. And from that broke down and rock bottom place, all of a sudden, that's where I began to understand the goodness of God. That's where I began to understand the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. And, and it's interesting because what Paul is saying is don't let our theology get twisted and begin to think just because I met God in a profound way through all that bad stuff, let's not, let's not take uh, some mathematical or algebraic equation and simply say, okay, then in order for us to really experience the goodness of God, let's go out and start doing all kinds of bad stuff. It doesn't work both ways. Paul is saying here, uh, this is not the point. The point is not for us to go and see how bad we could be so that we could find out how good God can be. What Paul is saying here is we experience God's goodness wherever it is that we are, but don't tempt God by trying to elicit his goodness through continuing to live in ways that are not right with him in his, in his own eyes. Right? So, so the way that I kind of think of it is like, let's not start turning salvation into a stock exchange, right? How can I get more of God's goodness by, by doing more bad stuff? No, no, no. It doesn't work that way, right? 
In fact, we know that if we start to feel tempted to live in that way, or, or even we take advantage of grace, um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls that cheap grace, uh, because he essentially says that we, we start to live in such a way that's like, you know what, God's going to forgive me anyway. Right? And we start to take advantage of, of, of the grace of God. And it cheapens the blood of Christ. Right? Because he shed his precious blood on the cross for us. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, gave himself for us, became sin that we, right, might be called, that we who are sinners might be forgiven and might be called friends of God. Jesus did that for us. And so how dare we take advantage of that by going out and testing and tempting God by stepping into more and more brokenness, more and more sinfulness, just so that we could experience more and more faithfulness of God. Paul said, don't do it. And church, I say to you today, don't do it, right? We've got enough brokenness in our life for a lifetime. And and the interesting thing about it is God doesn't want us to step into that heartache time and time again. I shared this a few weeks ago when we were looking at chapter one, right? When we talk about the wrath of God. Right? And it says the wrath of God has been revealed. And essentially, my, my belief in theology is that God wants every single one of us to av- avoid as much of that pain and heartache as possible. And so he sent his son Jesus. Right? You don't have to experience that over and over again. You don't have to experience that loneliness. You don't have to experience that shame and that guilt and that rejection and that heartache, right? And that recovery period that comes after we decided to fall back into that lifestyle that we know we shouldn't be living in. We don't have to keep going back to that stuff that Jesus has already given us a way out. We don't need to go back. So, so Paul is essentially saying here, like, you know, let's get away from this comparison game. Because the Jews and the Gentiles in Rome were comparing themselves to each other. Right? Um, and then they're, like, they're like, which one is more special to God? Which one is closer to God? Um, right? Which one is uh, uh, demonstrating more goodness in the sight of God? And, and what Paul is saying here is let's get out of the comparison game. Right? Let's not start worrying about you know, the person next to us, to the left, or the person to the right, that this is an invitation to come before God, wherever it is that we may be. Um, So let's look at verse 9. What shall we conclude then? What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage at all? And then Paul says in verse 9, Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So this verse right here, if if he hadn't gotten the Jews in Rome upset, this verse would have done it. Because what he's saying here is, guess what? You're not worse than anybody. And everybody's like, whew, thank God. And And then Paul goes, and guess what else? You're not better than anybody. And they're like, wait a second, Paul, wait a second. We got we to talk about that one a little bit more. No, 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 no. In fact, here's how I would paraphrase what Paul is saying. In Christ and through our sin, all of us are spiritual Gentiles. All of us are spiritual Gentiles. Why? Because we've all sinned, right? Look what it continues to say in this section in chapter 3. It says, do we have an advantage? Not at all. It is written, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one righteous, not even one. 
You see, at this point in the conversation, everybody's trying to give themselves a spiritual uh, inventory. They're trying to figure out on a scale of one to 10, where do I fall? I'm about a nine, right? Others are like, man, I know I'm like a negative. Like, if I can go negative, I'm probably like negative nine, right? Others are like, I'm about a four, you know, not that bad, not that good. And what Paul says is, put away the scale. There is nobody righteous, not even one. You thought you were a nine? You're more like, "Uh, I'm not going to tell you what you are right? Because what Paul is saying here is don't break out the scale because we all fall short, right? We all fall short. No one's righteous, not even one. Look at verse 11. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced in the whole world, held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. This is a powerful scripture. This is a, I mean, I, I don't, I personally don't feel like clapping on that scripture because that scripture hurts. It hurts to come to this point where we recognize that Paul is saying, you were trying to judge yourself on a scale, but the scale is we're all messed up. Everything, and the one who looks like they got it all together probably has got something behind the scenes that nobody knows about. So even them are messed up. And the one who you thought was the most messed up God's probably been doing a work in their life. They're probably closest to Jesus than the rest of us. So don't judge a book by its cover. By what they wear, how they talk, where they come from, how they live, how much money they got, what color skin they are, what language they speak, whether they got to this country legally or illegally. Don't start judging somebody by what you can see on the outside. What what Paul is saying here is every single one of us are equal. And how is that? We are all broken, messed up sinners that even on our best day, we need the grace of God over our lives because even our thoughts are not right with God. Even when I look like a saint is probably when I'm closest to being a sinner. And, and especially when I recognize that I'm a sinner, I'm the closest to being a saint because I realize that I need a savior. So Paul is saying we are all messed up. Don't start judging nobody else and don't start thinking that you got it all together because every single one of us are far from God and need Jesus in order to bridge that gap. We can't get there on our own. We can't get there by reading the Bible 24 hours a day. Because it'll just keep showing us how broken we are. By, the more we spend time in the word. I'm not telling you not to spend time in the word. But the more time that we spend in the word, the more we recognize that we ain't got it. The more we recognize that I made a mistake again. Man, I didn't even know I made a mistake until I read that scripture. And now I realize I made a mistake. I shouldn't have read that scripture. But you should. And I should. Because it reminds us how far it is we are from God without Jesus. Which then will remind us later, and I don't want to get too far ahead because we got some weeks to go in, in Romans, but I don't want to get too far ahead, but it reminds us how much Jesus, how big of a gap he can actually, he can actually cover. Right? It reminds us. If I think I'm good and I just need a little bit of help, then, then Jesus might look like this on the cross. 
but he doesn't. He looks like that because he takes me from way over there. And then God's way over there, the Heavenly Father who is holy in every single way. And, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he, he takes my hand, my broken hand, my sinful hand, and he says, hey, you okay? Are you ready? You realize that you can't do this on your own? You've been trying, right? You know you can't read your way into the kingdom of God. You can't pray your way into the kingdom of God. You can't, you can't uh, punish yourself into the kingdom of God. You, you can't act your way into the kingdom of God. You can't preach your way into the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus says, but I got your hand now, and I wanted to bring you over here to my Father. Amen. Right? Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Conscious of our sin. Believe it or not, that is the makings of the good news. Because the more conscious I am of my sin, the quicker I am to realize I need to do something about that. And what we can do about that is say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. There's sin that I have that I know of, and there's sin that I have that I don't even know of. But Jesus, somebody told me that you know what to do with sin. And I've tried to figure it out, and I haven't figured it out for a long time. And so I want you to come and help me figure out what to do with this sin. And Jesus looks down and he says, I got you. I got you. That's what I do. Right? That's what I do. So to become conscious of our sin is the beginning of the good news. Amen? Um, would you stand with me if you're able this morning? We can close in a word of prayer. Um, and thank the Lord for Paul's hard but good word to, to the Jews and Gentiles in the Church of Rome and to us. Lord, we... Uh, we are grateful to be in your house today. We're grateful to worship you. We are grateful to be surrounded with other believers and people who might be here because they're curious. Um, we're grateful that you love us, each of us. We're grateful that none of us are too far from you. For you to be able to step in and connect us with your goodness. Uh, we're even thankful that you point out um, to us that we can't be good enough on our own, that we fall short, that no one's righteous, not even one. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's like our mouths are like open graves. There's just so much in us that needs to be redeemed and renewed by you. Um, and thank you that you're a God who redeems and renews. Um, so we present ourselves to you, all of us sinners, all of us broken, all of us in need, all of us with probably more questions than answers. All of us with burdens, pain, wounds, confusion. We bring it all before you, Lord. We thank you that uh, through chapter 1 and 2 of Romans, we're reminded that uh, we don't have to be perfect to be uh, candidates for your grace. Um, in fact, it's because of our imperfection that we are candidates for receiving your goodness and we thank you that the the ground at the foot of the cross is level nobody's standing higher or lower um, but we're there and we need you 
And that's what today is teaching us. We need you. We're not better than anybody. Nobody is. Doesn't matter how how much time we've, how many hours we've logged within the walls of a church. We need our hearts to be transformed by you. Come and transform our hearts, Lord. Come and make us more like you. Give us your righteousness, Lord God. Forgive us for trying to break out the scale, the righteousness scale, and with external measures and things that are observable by others. Lord, we don't want anybody to think we're holy other than you. And you do that by covering us with the blood of your own son, Jesus, so that as you look to us, you see Jesus and not ourselves. Thank you for today. Uh, In Jesus' name and all God's people say, Amen. amen.